0: So our sermon, uh, we're starting a new series, and uh, this sermon kind of wasn't planned in the sense that uh, I started out with an introduction, uh, and it ended up becoming a sermon that is an introduction. So let me explain. Uh, currently, our, our Sunday morning class, uh, we're going through Job, and we're kind of getting towards the end. Um, we're scheduled to be done with that, probably the end of February, March. So we're going to be starting a class in Revelation um, uh, when that concludes, and uh, so I thought we'd do an introduction and get take some of the material and put it in in sermon form because uh, Revelation is divided up into several sections, and and one of those is a, a very literal uh, section, uh, and and so we're going to be kind of doing that uh, in sermon series. In preparation for the class, and so as I thought of, you know, just introducing little things, and my introduction uh, this week for this new series of sermons got longer and longer, and it sounds like we have an introductory sermon, Um, but uh, my my feeling has been that, um, uh, and my impression is just that the events uh, of the last year, no matter who you are, have disquieted the world in general, Um, and um, Including Christians. And we are, I think, sometimes often under the impression that we are the only ones in the history of the world who have lived through uncertainty and lived through volatility. And the book of Revelation is actually a testament to the fact that that is not true. And um, throughout centuries, Long before even Christ, God spoke to people to prepare them for dramatic upheaval in their life that was coming. And, uh, and so when, when properly understood, uh, these prophecies produced a, a calming effect, a, a preparation. I mean, maybe some nervousness about things, but it, but it was designed, these were designed to prepare people uh, in, in Matthew uh, the, the apostles respond to something Jesus says. Jesus says, he, he walks out and he looks at the temple. It's his last week here before his, his crucifixion. And he says, you know, there's not going to be one stone standing on, uh, on, on top of another here. And so the disciples get very interested in this statement. And, and they say, uh, when is that going to happen? And, and while you're at it, we have another question. When's the end of the world? right? And so in Matthew chapter 24, and then in chapter 25, he answers these two questions. And, and the point was, and, and what he said, they could not have possibly understood at that point in time. Right? But as things get closer to 70 AD, people start putting some of these statements that he makes in, in Matthew chapter 24. They start understanding some of these things. Whoa, that looks interesting. And, and that, looks, that looks interesting. And, and so that's what, what these messages are about. Uh, throughout time God has has said here's some things that are going to affect the church here's some things you need to look for but that's not all that prophets did prophets didn't just go around predicting things sometimes they just said here's the situation right now and here's some things you need to address right now I mean Isaiah's full of it and and Jeremiah's full of just statements right now you need to take care of this I'm not going to we don't need any special language or any hidden secrets just you're doing this wrong um and and or, or or hear something great that you're doing sometimes there's those kind of messages you need to continue doing this uh, and the book of revelation has a section like this it's not i mean it has symbolic language there's a, revelation is full of symbolic pictures and most of them are taken from from the old testament things that the jews understood there's a reason for that and we're not going to get into that in this series that's when we get into the introductory material uh for, for the the class, we'll get into some of that, but um, it's a largely symbolic book. But there's this section that's pretty literal, and he gives messages to seven churches. And we're gonna we're gonna read the the text of in just a second. Um, he he ends the book with a pretty literal message about Christ's return, but but he opens with this message to seven uh, different churches. On, in west, what we call Western Turkey, um, and and so there's this ironic development somehow in in interpretation of Revelation is that that things that are figurative, a lot of people interpret literally. Right? Like, there's people waiting around for 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 us to have barcodes on our foreheads. That's not going to happen. Right? The just. Just so you understand that. That's not going to happen. That's, that's figurative language. And then and then there's there's statements where um, where we, we get into some literal things that people take figuratively. It's like, no, you want to interpret. You got this backwards. So, so a lot of people have taken these seven churches and they've symbolized seven churches. And, and they, well, these represent the different ages of the church. No, that's, that's not accurate. They, these were actual messages to seven churches that we know where they were. He names them. And, and so uh, it's funny how people do that. just kind of flip flip. It's like if you take that mythology and put it over here where it belongs and take this one, we'll get a much better picture of, of what this book means. Uh, you know, so uh, let's turn to our text. Enough of me talking here. Uh, chapter 1 in uh, Revelation and verse 9. So we're not actually today, uh, as I say, the, the introductory, we're not going to actually get into the message to the, the churches. We're going to just kind of establish some points uh, that will appear uh, and to look at some of the basic background to the message itself um, and, and try to draw some lessons. Um, and so, so our series is talking about seven lights, and you'll, you'll understand why in just a second. Revelation chapter 1, and beginning in verse 9, he says, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island named Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What you see... Write in a book, send it to seven churches, which are in Asia. This is Asia Minor. Uh, this is uh, right across from uh, from Istanbul, uh, and south uh, is called Asia Minor. It's actually a part of the Asian continent. Uh, he says, and he names them: to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamus, to Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. No guesswork, no interpretation here. So he says, I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded around the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, refined in in a furnace, and a voice sounded like many waters. His hand had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And I saw him, and I fell at his feet like I was dead. And he put his right hand on me and said to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. So write the things which you've seen and the things which are, and the things which shall take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Good. He gives us a little key for interpretation. like that. Start out with an understanding of what we are. That's where we need. and so, So from there, maybe we can piece some things together. This is the easy part. So God starts off Revelation by helping John understand. There's some literal things. Write the things which have been. Write some things here that are literal. These are seven churches. Then we're going to get to some literal things, and even in the or in figurative things, and even in the literal things, there are some pictures that are symbolic. But the message, when I say it's it's figurative, what I mean is uh, figurative versus uh, versus literal is that the what's the point of the story is. Literally understood. There's no interpretation. We're going to get into Revelation. We're not going to understand, maybe at the first reading, what message he's trying to get across. But what we're going to read today, the point of it all, or I should say through the next seven weeks, the points that he's trying to make to these seven churches are very literal points they are easily understood. Do this. Keep doing this. Don't do that. I'm glad you're doing this. Right. You don't have to interpret those messages. They're right there. But there are some pictures that are are neat in here. That, not just neat because, but they add depth. They add color. And and um and there's an additional reason why there's a lot of symbolic language. And again, we're not going to get into that. Um, but thankfully, there's not a lot of guesswork in this section. There's literal churches, and they're named. But we do want to talk about uh, one thing that that we didn't really. Get into, I'd want to read uh, the first verse of of chapter 2. He says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus, write. And we're just going to stop there. Now, here's why: is because in each section of these seven churches, he's going to talk about angels. Um, And and we need to know what that, that is referencing because it's very difficult to write to an angel. So it's kind of like writing to Santa Claus, right? Where do you send the letter? Right. So so he kids you know, oh write your letter to Santa Claus, how do you send it there? Right. Uh, North Pole, yeah. how do you send a letter? So we need to understand what he's referencing here in terms of angels. And I want to back up to, to verse 20, and he says uh, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars of the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw. Our seven churches And we're going to talk about throughout this, there's, and, and even uh, in, in Matthew, Jesus references stars and suns and moon falling and things like that. And these reference important people. They're not referenced to cataclysmic cosmic events. They were references to people. right? Remember when Joseph, uh, Joseph had a vision and, uh, and he said, "I had a dream last night. Oh, what was your dream?" Well, I had the a a, a a dream that the sun and the moon and the stars bowed down in front of me. And his dad's first, his dad knew what that meant. He says, "What do you think we're going to bow down to you?" Right. His dad knew that sun and moon and stars referenced important people. That was what prophetic language was. Right. So we have the key for interpretation. So so these things were important people, and. So these stars are the angels. The seven stars are the angels of seven churches. Again, we get to this idea how do we write to an angel? How is John supposed to address a letter to an angel? Now we know that angels are involved in in inspiration. The Bible, Hebrews, talks about how angels gave messages. It didn't work the other way around. Angels came with messages. In fact, it says that sometimes they didn't understand the things that they were giving to people and helping the inspiration. They didn't, they, the things they, they desired to long into, they, they didn't understand grace. They didn't understand repentance and forgiveness. That's a different concept to an angel. But they helped the inspiration, they didn't get letters. So, what we need to do then is understand what the word angel Means. The word means messenger. That's all it means, right? Uh, And so, uh, angelos is a messenger. Uh, We have a a thing called the euangelion. Uh, Eu is the word good. It's a prefix. Uh, It means the gospel, right? That's the euangelion is the gospel. It's the good. News, the good message, and so a person who gives a good message is called in Greek a euangelion, an evangelist. It's the word. So, so an evangelist has the word angel in it, right? It is a reference to a person. He says, write these messages. I've got seven messages, and you're going to write these to seven churches where seven evangelists are, seven preachers. Right, this, this is not dramatic, not writing a letter to Santa Claus over here. He's giving a message. Give this to the evangelists. They're going to read it to the churches. Very literal. I've got a message. Send it to these churches. Now, in time, church structure will change a little bit. Uh, they'll have a thing called a, a representative bishop. Right, and and what churches ended up doing is they they end up developing the system where whereby as the the church spread throughout the Roman Empire, they they kind of tried to keep things together and unified, and so so each church had a bishop, and they would get together and have councils and and determine what the church should do, the whole church, the universal church, right, and. And But that system hasn't developed yet. So when he says, right to the angel, he's not talking about bishops because that's a couple hundred years down the road. He's talking about the same duty. Paul, Paul writes to Timothy, says, do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of a good angel, <laughs> literally, a good messenger. And so it's not dramatic. There's no dramatic interpretation here. Actually, we know one of these men that Paul is writing to from history uh, is a, a man in Smyrna, the church in Smyrna. We, uh, we know of a man called Polycarp. Polycarp writes his history. Another man writes the history of Polycarp. Uh, after that, a guy by the name of Irenaeus, who is from the church in Smyrna also. And Polycarp was a disciple of John, which is interesting. It's kind of cool. And so one of the men that will, will get this, we know his history. Very good writer becomes a martyr uh, a few decades later. This week, we're not focusing on the seven churches or these seven messengers. We're going to focus on the source. This section that we read is not about the individual lights. By the way, he, he talks about seven lights. So I'm going to take you to, to this t- point in time where the, the church is still largely Jewish. He's referencing a menorah. Now, I know if you've seen a menorah, you've seen one with nine lights, and that's, that has to do with Hanukkah. That's not the menorah. That's not the menorah that was in the temple. The, the menorah in the temple had seven lights for whatever reason. And that, that's the picture that they would understand, this menorah in the, in the tabernacle or in the temple and one of the things that the, the priest did every day is make sure he, he walks in. He, uh, there's, there's a lamp stand uh, uh, and, and there's a, a table of showbread and, and there's an altar of incense. And so he, he offers incense and he, he eats the showbread, but he then tends to the lamp. He makes sure that there's this lamp that has enough oil, that it's, these lights are not supposed to go out. And so, so this lamp came and it had like these tubes that came out of it and it had a bowl. And he poured oil, and make sure the oil is kind of like your, your radiator. Right? You check your radiator level. Okay, it's got enough in there, so I'm not going to be somewhere stranded on the highway overheating. But This light is not supposed to go out, and so he pours oil in it, makes sure the, the wicks are all good or whatever. He, he's doing all the stuff to make sure that this, this lamp keeps burning. It's important. And this is the picture. He says, you saw one among... The lampstand, walking around among these lampstands. That's me. Making sure that these seven churches are maintained and their lights are still bright. And that's what this picture is that he's going to give in chapter 2 or 3. These are the things that, that the churches need to do to make sure that their lights are still bright in a community around them. And in the dark, dark, dark world around them, and we're gonna see some messages. You're gonna think, oh, America's oh so awful. Look at all the Imra. We're gonna get into some stuff that's really, really horrible. That's going on in these churches. We're we're not the, the worst ever to live on in the planet, believe it or not. So we focus on the one who is speaking. Who's speaking? But we kind of have to figure that out. See, when John wrote this letter, he didn't go, oh, I'm going to use the red ink here. And that way everybody will know who is speaking. Right? Uh, he just had black ink, so far as I know. Uh, it's nice in our Bibles, it's red, but is that true? Is that the reality of the matter? Well, I think it's pretty easy to figure out. He says, Do not be afraid, I am the first, I am the last, I am he who lives, I was dead, and I am alive forevermore. So we can identify that John has picked the correct ink here. This is the red ink. This is Christ speaking. That's important. It's not the Father speaking. Not to diminish the Father in any way, but this message comes from Christ himself. I've got a message. And we're going to get to... The significance of, of this section, but we've identified who, at least and these are important parts. Christ is the high priest, right? Scriptures calls him our high priest. He's the priest into the temple, going there and monitoring and, and making sure everything in the temple is going as he wants it. It's important, and so this vision is going to give us a sense of the one giving. The message to John and, and in it though, though there 's a lot of things we could skim over and we kind of we read this section when we read revelation it 's kind of a lot of nice things oh and feet like grass and blah, 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 blah. and we just get to the let 's get to the and this section is important because it places for us the source of light before we become lights ourselves we need to know who the source of light is, and what are his characteristics and and, and what are the things that he's wanting us? Well, let's look at first of all his majesty. He describes his majesty, and he talks about a man wearing a white robe. We'll see white robes again. We'll see a, in the book of Revelation. We will see a, a host of people wearing white robes. It's the picture of purity. It's the picture of perfection. It was symbolic of kings, though, and emperors wore white robes. If you remember at Jesus' death, Herod dresses Jesus in a robe. It's called a brilliant robe. It means, it's literally, it means bright white. And he sends him to Pilate. It says that Pilate and, and Herod became friends. That day, he sent him over in a royal robe. He sent him over in one of his own robes. Only kings and emperors wore those things. You didn't just walk around. And it was actually, it was bright white because it was white, but it was embroidered with actual silver thread. I'm not sure you wanted to wear that. It might have got a little cold. It was ceremonial. I don't know. But it was bright white. It was royal. Jesus says, I am royal. He's talking about his majesty here. It talks about his golden sash. He had a golden sash. In your little children's Bible books, either it's blue or red. In Revelation, he says, I got a gold one now. Only emperors, only emperors have that luxury. And his sword, says, oh, I've got a sword. Well, now we're getting definitely the picture here. It's not of a priest any longer, but it is certainly recognized. And it, what kind of sword? It's a double-edged sword. This is unique to the Romans at this point in time. It was the, the emblem, the signature of a Roman soldier, the Roman military well we've seen this before in the scriptures a couple of times. A double-edged sword in Hebrews is, is called the Word of God. a very, very precise instrument. Christ says, uh, "I'm a warrior, but I, I fight a little differently and And when I'm trimming and when I'm doing things and... and, and when I work and when I'm maintaining, I do it with this tool. This is the tool that I use. And my tool of choice is the Word of God. And, and when I want something a particular way, it's my words. It's the words of my mouth. It's later pictured as a sword coming out of his mouth. And this is, these are my words. This is how I want it. Understand the source of light. Through the pictures of his clothing, but then he talks about his personal appearance. He talks about having brass feet. What does that mean? He's not talking about the cheap 1960s bedroom sets, brass, right? Maybe a little bit more like bronze, but royal bronze. Bronze is uh, what is it? Copper and zinc, I believe. But this was different, royal. Royalty had a different kind of bronze. It was that, but then they added a little gold and silver to make it extra shiny. So it was really hard and really shiny. You get the impression that, that Roman emperors and royalty liked shiny things. So he has brass feet. I'm not sure what the picture is of brass feet, other than Royalty. and he has a beard of white this is interesting you picture jesus with a white beard i never have think of a young guy 30s long hair kind of a hippie right that's your picture of jesus i don't picture an old man jesus it's interesting that that when paul writes in corinthians he says we've known him this way but the way we knew him we we know him no longer he's a little bit different jesus is Here's a picture. A beard and a white beard, especially, was a different picture. It was a picture of age and wisdom. It's just kind of, you're around someone that's been around the block a few times. You understand that they speak from something, and they just, young people have to yell at you to, to convince you stuff. Old guys just say, this is the way it is. Yeah, and, and you're just like, Okay, when, when when older person says something from their experience, you don't you don't yell at them, argue with them. Or, it's just they know what they're talking about, and they have a manner of talking that they know what they're talking about. And they also don't care if you disagree with them. And that's that's the picture of Christ. It's like this is the way it is. This is my words. I've been around. So, these pictures show us a couple things. As we've said, he's an emperor, he's the absolute final authority on things. When he addresses these churches in these next seven messages, he's telling them, This is the way it has to be. I'm the emperor, but I'm also the priest. I think if there is something definite in the the picture of the brass feet, it is this. From what I have read, a priest went into the holy place barefoot. Remember, Moses comes up to, this probably goes back to that, Moses comes up to the burning bush. God says, whoa, I'm about to strike you down, so you better take off your sandals because where you're standing is holy ground. Christ is holy. And and Christ has a relationship with the Father that that He treats holy things as holy. Even He treats holy things as holy. So those who are governed by the emperor and who are guided by the high priest certainly need to address holy things as holy. Holy. Christ doesn't make exceptions for himself. And so, as he does, as he tends to them, he does so with an eternal wisdom. It's not just, I want it this way. Why? Because I like it that way. These are things that he's saying from an eternal wisdom. This is why, there's reasons why, Ephesus, that I want you to do this. All of these pictures that we're going to see have to do with their light. And he addresses them as lights. Not, not just the, the preachers, but the churches themselves are lights. He says, if you want to be a light, you're going to have to do things. and These are the things that, that I need, and, and these are the things I can't have. These will affect your ability to be lights. And I know what I'm doing. The second set of pictures, as he talks about his appearance, and we're not going necessarily in order, because it kind of all jumbled in here, but he talks about a face like the sun. Recall, John has seen this before. What an incredible thing to be John. The only man in history who's seen it twice. I mean, Moses went up the mountain and his face came down and he shone. 1,500 years later, Peter, James, and John go up the mountain with Jesus and they see something similar. I don't know if it doesn't say that their faces were shining and had to cover them with a veil so no one could look at it when they came down, but they saw something impressive. And then at the end of his life, John gets to see it again. That's that's I mean, that's rare air right there. A face like the sun. And what is that? It's a picture of Christ's deity. He, he's more than an emperor. He he's more than a than a high priest. He's more than the leader. The, he he is deity. A lot of people don't like this first chapter of Revelation because they, they want to make this about the Father. Wherever it talks about God here or, or references to the Almighty, they want to make that about the Father. Now, the Father is God and is God Almighty, but this is the picture of Christ. This chapter is saying, I'm Christ and I'm God. So get used to it. I am deity. John says this is a face like the sun. We get to that picture. I am the one who is dead and I am alive. So, no mistakes. This is Christ talking. And he says, I have the the power over death and the afterlife over death and Hades. That's significant for a number of reasons. Christ is saying, I have the keys of eternal life. No one else does. There are not many paths. There are not many roads. I do not share my toys. It goes through one person. Christ alone has those keys of death and Hades. And in here is warning, but there's encouragement. Because these messages in these next couple of chapters specifically, and for the rest of the book... This serves as an introduction, not just for these seven messages, but for the entire book. And, and there's some crazy stuff. And you could probably think of some of the pictures. And maybe it's been a long time since you read Revelation. Maybe that was the book you're almost done. You know, we read it through here a couple of years ago. We read through the Bible. And maybe you got to the end and you're like, okay, I'm just skimming through it because this is weird stuff. Okay. I know we read that. And, and I, I, I hear what people say. And they say, well, you know, uh, I, Revelation is, you know, we win in the end you know, John could have probably and God could have saved a lot of time if they would have just said, we win in the end. That would have been a short book. But they didn't write that. They wrote a lot of stuff in there, so it's kind of important. So there's more to get out of the book of Revelation than, than uh, uh, we win in the end. There's a lot of stuff in there, and there's some dark pictures in there. I don't claim to know absolutely what all of them mean, just so we understand that. But there's some dark stuff in there. He says, write some of the stuff that has been, what is, and what is going to start taking place. There's some dark stuff, but is so important. This introduction, I am the one over death and Hades. Remember that, because when we get to the dark stuff, I'm still the one over death and Hades. I've still got that power. Remember that when you come up to the dark stuff. I have got the power over death and Hades. Nobody else does. Not Nero. Not whoever. The conqueror of this or that. Nope. Not the president of the United States. Not Xi Jinping. I have the power over death and Hades. And you do not need to worry about these dark things. There's dark things. Yes, be prepared. They're coming. I have the power over death and Hades. And so there is warning. If you want to be on the good side of the one over power of death in Hades, these are the things you might want to tend to. If you live within these parameters and pay attention to the one with the sword coming out of his mouth, I don't want to meet somebody with a sword coming out of his mouth. Not on the bad side of him. You got hope. That's hope. That's not a bad message. It's a good message. Man has a tendency to make God conform to his image. Both literally and figuratively. Paul wrote Romans, and he he talks about how they... They started worshipping birds and and all these other things. And and they carved things that they thought were great. In Egypt, they worshipped a dung beetle. I don't know why. I I don't know why that impresses people. But it apparently impressed them. Weird. Man has made God in his own image. These are the things that are impressive to us. But very seldom does God ever do things the way that we would. What God wants and what God is doing almost never meets our expectations. What are you doing, God? Why do you have all these? We just did a sermon called Great Expectations. Have high expectations, but try not to get too specific. When you expect God to do things, because He's not going to do things the way that you think He's going to do them. And one of the ways that He is very unlike what we want is that He does not take the short term view. He's an old man with a white beard, He's got the long term view. And so as he warns them and encourages them about what the future is going to be and the things that he wants, these seven churches need to know who this message is coming from. I'm about to give you a message, Ephesus, and you Thyatira, and you Laodicea. This is your message. This is for you to work on. Thyatira, don't you worry about Smyrna. This is yours. You work on this one. If you have extra time after that, you can work on some of these. But to do it, they're going to need to know who it's coming from. They need to know the source of light. And so here's the challenge. Because I'm not in Laodicea, I'm not in Thyatira or Smyrna. Most of those places don't even exist. So here's the challenge. When you leave here, you have a choice. And the choice is what you will be overwhelmed by. Because you are going to be overwhelmed. We've all said it. I just feel overwhelmed. Your choice is what you are going to be overwhelmed by. Or I want to put it a different way. You can be overwhelmed by one of two factors. And I think the choice is obvious. We can be overwhelmed by, by the awfulness of our circumstances. Because we do have awful circumstances from one time to another. And in time, there's really, really, really awful circumstances, and we can all think of those times in history where you go, I'm glad I didn't live there. I think that would have been overwhelming. I don't know how I would have got through that. So I can be overwhelmed by that. And I'm not making light of awful. I really want you to understand I'm not making light of awful circumstances because there are some really tragic ones, not just on a, on a global scale or at a local scale, but on an individual scale. Sometimes, sometimes the world around you is calm and you're in the middle of a hurricane. You've got like a Category 5 right there. Sometimes that's really disconcerting because you, you look around and you say, everybody else is, is, seems to be doing okay and I, I'm upside down. Those are very real moments. You can be overwhelmed by that. I can be overwhelmed by the awfulness of a condition. Or God presents an opportunity to be different from that. He, he, here's an alternative. You can be overwhelmed by my awesomeness. I am awesome. I am superior in power to these circumstances. What am I going to be overwhelmed by? Because it's going to be something. And that's the message to these seven churches And then after those seven churches, there's a bunch, and it's like, there's going to be churches after you, Smyrna and Thyatira and all you guys. There's going to be churches after you. And they're going to have these set of circumstances. And then after that, there's going to be uh, this church. They're going to have a set of circumstances. And the very beginning of all of it is this first chapter where God is telling everyone in the history of, of the church from then till now, I am in control Of the very forces of existence. The most incredible force on earth, death. It's not really a big deal to me. Kind of been there and taken care of it. I got the keys. That's amazing. What will you be overwhelmed by?
1: Let's stand and sing together. Have you been to us for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in his grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? By the Savior's side, are you washed of the Lamb? Do you rest each moment in the Crucified? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood in the blood of the lamb. Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the lamb? Lay aside the garments that are stained with sin and be washed in the blood of the lamb. There's a fountain flowing for the soul unclean. Oh be washed in the blood of the lamb are you in the blood, in the soul cleansing blood of the lamb are you? Garments spotless are they, white as snow. Are you watching Allah?
2: Thanks, Andrew. I did kind of appreciate the uh, definition of angels because I'm sure my mother called me a little angel from time to time, and some of the other people that know me from my youth, uh, little angel, but then it finally dawned on me. The devil's a fallen angel. (laughs) 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 I guess it wasn't a compliment. good to have everyone here this morning. There's some faces I uh, don't recognize. Uh, it's nice to have Kyra Beck uh, back to school, uh, safe and sound, so you're here from uh, Sunday to Sunday. Uh, as far as announcements, do we still need boxes for this uh, uh, packing issue, Kim? Okay, well, I don't not I don't think there's 20 boxes back there, so I'm guessing uh, we need a few more. Uh, let's see. Other than uh, today is a birthday for Anthony. Yay!
1: <laughs>
2: and Anthony, how old are you today? Nine. Wow. Pretty soon'll be double digits, pretty soon a teenager mouth wow, getting old fast, and so happy birthday, birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday, dear Anthony, and happy birthday to you, spot spot, okay, let's uh go to our father in prayer. Father indeed thankful that we could be here this morning to uh fellowship, to worship, to be together as a family, to encourage and strengthen one another. We're thankful for the lessons that are uh, brought by Andrew as it helps us to grow in our knowledge and understanding, appreciation, uh, your love for us. Father, we pray that you continue to bless us not only as individuals but as a body. We certainly continue to offer up those that are on our prayer list, uh, which seems to change uh, from week to week. We uh, realize that uh, Richard uh, is on there now and he is going through some uh, tough time with uh, heart condition. Father, we pray that you continue to watch over them as you uh, have us. May we always trust in you. May we uh, be strengthened by our by our faith and our willingness to uh, serve uh, each and every opportunity we're thankful for the safety that we uh, enjoyed here this morning as we are together we pray that it continues as we go home in the uh, somewhat uh, uh, snowy conditions we are indeed thankful for uh, the elders and the teachers that uh, lead and instruct here Uh, we pray that you continue to Bless them and their work, their efforts. We pray that each one of us will be uh, encouraged by your scripture. May we look to it for strength and, and guidance. May we apply what we learn in our daily lives. May we be a light unto the community and to each other. We pray that you be with us now as we depart from this place. In his name we pray. Amen.